Hi, this is Dan O'Shea, the author of Penance, and you're listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week, we'll be discussing The Big Ugly by author Jake Hinkson, um, recently recently of Noir at the Bar slash Booked fame. Damn right. Yeah. So now people know who he is. Forget the fact that he's written several other books, one of them being phenomenal, but now he's actually associated with Booked, so... Now, uh, Jake, this is it. You're propelling yourself into the big time here, buddy. That's, yeah, steps up on the social ladder, for sure. Yep. So here's a little bit about Jake Hinkson. Jake Hinkson is now associated with the book podcast. <laughs> so that's that part of his bio, yet. Yet. He didn't have time to revise. That's right. Jake Hinkson is the author of four books, including the newly released The Big Ugly. He has written for Mystery Scene and Noir City. His novels, Hell on Church Street and The Posthumous Man, are being released in French editions ooh la la next year he lives in chicago you know what's nice about that bio uh it's short yeah and there's no question about where he lives we know <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't live in new york he lives oh in yeah yeah <laughs> pretty sure he did live in new york though didn't he <laughs> i don't even want to go down this fucking road again man <laughs> Let's, All right. Let's All right. message Josh in... Mallerman and see if he knows where Jake Kingston yeah. used to live. Yeah. Maybe they used to live like on the same street in New York. <laughs> Anything's possible. Hmm. Fucking authors just lying to me about where they live. Uh, that we, but we know, we know Chicago. Yes. That ah was because I just took a drink of beer. Yeah. Um, listen, I noticed that there's not a lot of clanky beer noises coming from your end in our pre-show discussion. Is there? Are you doing something different this week? Yeah. I've, uh... <laughs> It's funny you ask, Livius. <laughs> I've established, I've instituted a new beer, uh, like coaster kind of thing, for my desk, and it is a book called The Stud Book by Monica Drake. The beautiful thing about it is, uh, it's really good at absorbing beer, uh, so it doesn't mess up my desk, and it muffles the sound of me setting down a beer because if I put it right on the desk, it would sound like this. Right. Mm-hmm. Now try it the other way. All right. Here's the stud book. Did you hear that? Goddamn perfect. I will tell you, I don't know if, if people listen to the, you know, if they remember the review we did of the stud book, but I believe I might be the one who said, this book seems like it'd be really absorbent. Yeah, I think that was part of the review. I will, I'll tell you what, I didn't give a great review uh, of the stud book for the, the literary <laughs> content, but it's five stars. It's a beer coaster. <laughs> I'm going to encourage listeners to go look at Amazon reviews because <laughs> I get the feeling. That Rob might go and review this book on Amazon, this which book. is not something that happens very often. <laughs> Excellent place to rest your beer, everybody. <laughs> I have stars. Love this book. Um, <laughs> you know, a book I don't feel is going to be a very absorbent book, but partially because I read it in the ebook format, but The Big Ugly. All right. Well, I actually read the paper print copy that I got from North of Bar Chicago from Jake Hinkson himself, who signed it for me. Very nice. I have it in my hand right now. Um, so I did read paper and actually, uh, I'm kind of interested in reading more paper books because there was an article that someone sent me that said that, uh, when you read books, uh, in the paper format, as opposed to eBooks, you actually retain more, um, information because you have like a tactile experience that, uh, that, uh, you know, what the word, what's the word I'm looking for? doesn't help you be smarter or remember things like this, but like the, the tactile experience of reading helps you remember different parts of the book because you can be, you know what I'm saying, like the physical feeling of how the book was when you were reading. Like, oh, during that scene I cut my, my finger on the edge of the page. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, or that was like toward the end of 1Q84 where I was so tired of lifting up this gigantic heavy book and I hated the book anyway, so I just hated it more. Um, th- that study sounds like a ploy um, that was instituted by the big publishers. <laughs> It was from it was from a, a paper pulp company. <laughs> <laughs> totally, completely unbiased. Well, All right, um, so I guess I should tell people what the big ugly is about. Indeed, let's do that. All right, here's the synopsis. I believe we pulled from Amazon because it's easy and quick to do that. Ellie Bennett is an ex corrections officer who has just served a year in Eastgate Penitentiary for assaulting a prisoner. She's only been out for a day when she accepts a strange job offer from the head of a Christian political advocacy group. He wants her to track down a missing ex-con named Alexis. 
Although no one knows where Alexis has gone, it seems like everyone in Arkansas is looking for her. From a rich televangelist running for Congress to the governor's dirty tricks man. When Bennett finds the troubled young woman, she has to decide whether to hand her over to the highest bidder or help her escape from the most powerful men in the state. Wonder what she decides. Yeah, I was just thinking, man, what if she just turned her over? Like, here you go. I'm thinking that the booked idea would be to just turn her over. Um, yeah, there's money involved, absolutely. Yeah. Again, this is why, much like I mentioned in the last episode, reasons they don't write stories about us. That's right. So, um, <laughs> so we have, yeah, the, the protagonist is Ellie Bennett, former corrections officer. Did 13 months on the inside for, um, she was set up, so I'll give that away. I mean, that was pretty early on in the book. She was set up by another prison guard whose husband Ellie was having an affair with. Scandalous, yeah. Um, Ellie was banging Frank, who's a cop, mm-hmm. who is married to Kitty, who is the other corrections officer. Kitty found out that this affair was going on and decided to set up Ellie um, with, a, with a trick with knowing where there weren't uh, cameras in the prison and stuff like that. So it looked like uh, she beat the hell out of a, a prisoner, getting her, causing her to lose her job and then you know go to court and get convicted of some sort of assault or something like that. Putting her in the very prison she used to work in. Which seems like a conflict of interest, right? You would think, like, you know. Yeah. It's explained away, though. It's, like, the only women's prison, so it's, like, the only option. Yeah. Ship her down to the next prison. You would um, think a state like Arkansas would have just a ton of women's prisons. You would think, because I'm pretty sure that all those sexy movies... All take place in Arkansas prisons. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like Wait, sexy movies? Bars. Like... Yeah, well, it's whenever there's a woman's prison movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, yeah, talking about, oh, you're not talking about like triple X style? No, no, no. Just like those R-rated women's prison movies, you yeah. know, where there's a bunch of like uh, girl-on-girl sexual assaults and, you know, but they're kind of gentle. And, like, there's no, like nothing. just soft saxophone music in the back room while someone's being sexually assaulted. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's exactly how women's prison is. <laughs> They have specific uh, uh, women's prison pillows for the pillow riots that they have. <laughs> just, it's just real funny. They, the, the feathers burst out, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Real easily. Yeah. yeah. The seams are. And the, are, <laughs> the prisoner, those uh, jumpsuits, they fall off really easily, too. It's poor. They, <laughs> they just don't put enough money into the funding for the jumpsuits that they wear. So, yep. Those prison and... pillow fights are, are pretty crazy. And now if you go to any feminist blog in the world, you will see the booked further you know, promotes the rape culture in America. <laughs> so we join Ellie um, basically at the gates as she's leaving, as she's leaving Eastgate Penitentiary, um, where she's picked up by her brother and is going to try to settle into a normal life. And kind of she needs to find her place because she can't be you know in the in the prison guard business anymore because now she's a felon and uh you know and she can't get jobs in security she had at one point wanted to be a cop and now that obviously is never going to happen so she has to kind of figure out what she's going to do with the rest of her life um she immediately goes to check in with her parole officer who's a kind of old school you know tough guy just wants to see her on the straight and narrow um but he does mention to her that um, he has, he wants her to go see somebody who had expressed interest in giving her a job. Yeah, and um, if that doesn't throw up a red flag, that a parole officer, who you would imagine spends most of his time with other convicts, uh, knows someone that wants to, to give you a job, you know, then maybe you should be a little bit more careful with life. But uh, yeah, so she decides to take up take up the offer and at least check out. I mean, I'm sorry, she. She decides to at least check out what's going on with his offer and, and um, goes and meets up and is is offered what I would say is a pretty you know large amount of money for a very easy job, which is basically, hey, I'm trying to find this person, Alexis, and um, I know that you were in jail with her, so if uh, you help me find her, here's 500 bucks. Or was it a thousand and like there was five hundred up front, something like that? I think it was something like that. Yeah, uh, yes, a good some money to do that, but kind of a pittance for like a missing persons, you know, like. Yeah, but if you're right out of prison and it's probably like, you know, like you're right out of prison, it's probably someone you can find pretty easily under normal circumstances. Thousand bucks for like a couple of days worth of work when you're, you know, 
what you're used to is giant prison pillow fights and your clothes falling off. <laughs> Seems like a good, you know, good paycheck. Yeah. So, you know, at this point I was looking forward to the reunion of Ellie and um and Alexis, which was <laughs> going to end in some type of pillow fight. <laughs> but the book the book goes a whole different direction. Um you know, she she starts looking for Alexis and she gets kind of called in by another group. So the first the first group of people is a, is a religious organization that they they're like um kind of like a charity for helping people, you know, get back on their feet kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Is that a fair way to say it? That's exactly how I would say it. Um, but she gets um, picked up by somebody else who also wants to talk to her about finding the same young lady. Only this time, it's um, as it was mentioned in the in the synopsis, the governor's dirty tricks man. He's the guy who's he's the, like the spin doctor for the uh, for the the current governor of Arkansas. Right. Um, probably in in this meeting when she meets with them, the intentions don't seem as altruistic. <laughs> seems like there's probably some danger involved in this one just because of the reputation of the person uh who's who's trying to hire her um and the fact they're handing out a lot more money yeah it goes from you know 500 up front to 5000 up front which then you're like uh it's really hard to say no to $5000 in pretty much almost any circumstance i would probably kill someone for $5000 oh you're cheap for a hitman i watch a lot of those like 2020 like you know undercover things and yeah. those guys usually they start around 10 grand i think think so wow well i mean well I'm, but then you're like the, the walmart of hitmen <laughs> everyday low prices right that's right <laughs> it's rob's rolling back prices i'll do it for four thousand nine hundred and eighty eight dollars well you think about there's not a lot of overhead in killing someone right no there's no typically it's not pretty I mean, much it's, mostly it's, profit yeah, I mean, at least in I guess if in the real world it's like that. If if you read any of like the elaborate, like I spent a lot of time reading what's you know coined as like men's adventure type books. Yeah, and those are always like really elaborate. Like you had to fly somewhere and like get a disguise and like rent a hotel suite and you know rig something together. But yeah, I mean, in, in real life, it seems more like it's a revolver and a couple of bullets. Yeah, so. I can handle that. All right, well there you go, yeah. Rob. You get on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep talking about this book while Rob fills out his new resume for, uh, for Hitman. Um, so, yeah, so that's basically where we're at now. The the other character of, of note um, that we should mention from um, Ellie's past is Effervescence Jackson, um, who is also a former inmate who's out now and, you know, a, a mutual acquaintance of Alexis's. And it's the only place that Ellie really has to go where, you know, someone might know something about where Alexis is. And that um, leads her, I'd say, you know, pretty generally on a pretty straightforward kind of PI story, you know, where, you know, she finds out some information about the ex-boyfriend and then there's another guy, you know, so she goes around and does the I think pretty standard fare of, of running the gamut of interviewing people about potentially where Alexis might be. Yep. Yeah. Then, yeah, it falls into a very, traditional pi groove from there and then you know you know it's just a a really solidly put together story there's some you know ups and downs good things bad things um i think the thing that i thought was interesting was how straight for, uh, uh forthcoming she was with her information like um at one point she talks to a police officer who she's trying you know who she knew from before and she's talking about the police officer knew Alexis uh, in, a, in a, I guess, a professional capacity, but knew about her life and stuff. And so she was asking the police officer some questions. And when the police officer asked why, she just straight up told her, hey, these people are paying me to go find her. <laughs> I was like, yep. I don't know if I would say that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's that. And I guess there's there's the kind of side story um, with her and, and her brother. So. A little bit of backstory on the family. Ellie um, came from a family that found religion while she was in her teens. Um, it stuck with her brother, and her brother is now married to a woman who's devoutly religious. Um, they have a daughter who's a teenager. So she does have kind of this family side of the story, too, which probably is a little different than a lot of P.I. novels. Most P.I.s that we've read are kind of loners. There's maybe an ex-wife you know, right. there's not a lot of family, but there's a family that's trying to keep her straight. And the straighter they try to keep her, the farther she gets, uh, you know, embedded in this situation, which is uh, which becomes very dangerous, as you might imagine, when you have, um, you know, kind of this this uh, 
this dirty uh, politics player. And then on the other side, you have, you know, the, the really good religious people. But you might imagine from, you know, what we've said so far that maybe the, the religious people, they aren't so great either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> weirdly, this is the thought I had when you're talking about the family element of a PI story. And this is actually a movie that I'm guessing you haven't seen, but the possibility is a little bit higher because of when it came out. Mm-hmm. The Christian Slater movie Cuffs. I did not see that. I know what you're talking oh, yeah. about, but I did not see it. Yeah, but I big big Christian Slater fan. Cuffs is oh, like all right, so he's a fuck up. His he's Cuffs, right? Mm-hmm. Which you know, big surprise. It's a cop kind of movie, cop PI movie, and his last name is Cuffs. Nice. Uh, it was the '80s where they just did stupid shit mm-hmm. like that, and that was kind of the normal everyday thing. So. Uh, his brother is like, you know, he's the fuck up. His brother is like a pillar of the community, but then his brother gets murdered and he inherits his brother's job, which like they were basically like, instead of police, they were like contracted, you know, security people in San Francisco at that time, which is probably made up. But anyway, everybody had their own district that they, you know, patrolled and protected. And then, you know, through the course of the movie, Cuffs becomes like the good guy that everybody loves and everything when he was a fuck up at the beginning. But there was a very strong family uh, thread through the story because he was trying to live up to his brother's good name and stuff like that. That's what I thought of. Gotcha. All I thought about when you said that was pump up the volume. <laughs> yeah, but do you know who is in Cuffs? Mm-hmm. Christian Slater? I don't know, but I'm going to look right now. It was a girl, and she's super hot, and I just can't remember her name. <laughs> but I think you see her boobs at one point. Here's what I'm going to tell you about super hot girls from movies in the 80s. Mila you don't Jovovich. Look them up. Oh, nice. Yeah, she, you can still look her up now. But most of them you don't want to look up now because you're like, oh, oh, how sad. Dude, totally. Mila Jovovich. She was in there. She was in Cuffs. Super hot. And I think she was kind of like boob naked at one point. Oh, I like Mila. Now she's doing those Resident Evil things, right? Yes. And she's the only reason to watch any of those pieces of crap. (laughs) Seriously, like that's it. Um, Yeah, so that's it. That's pretty much the story in a nutshell. Um, Stuff happens, and then more stuff happens, followed by some stuff and some kind of resolution. Yeah, there's some plot twists, some surprising or maybe not so surprising, depending on how clever you are, reveals. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that everything gets figured out and laid out at the end. It's a very solid, I mean, like, Hinkson is a big uh, film noir almost historian i would say so he has a really good solid uh grasp of like the mechanics of a pi book and stuff like that and it's obvious this is this is very straightforward pi story um with a little bit of a twist because pretty much every character that really matters is female yeah that's what i was gonna say what what really makes this stand out and and i'm not a huge pi novel guy so i don't know how often this happens but yeah all okay so (laughs) The, the the bad guys in quotes they're they're all men yep but yeah the the obviously there's a female that's that's on the lamb that needs to be found um mm-hmm. the, your private eye is um who doesn't ever mention herself as a private eye um is a woman her sidekick effervescence jackson is a woman and yeah women women are the ones running the 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 you know good guy end of this uh this particular story yeah even that police officer that helped out yes is a woman that is correct and the nemesis who got her put away, woman. Yeah, that's true. All the like pivotal the, characters are female. When I was listening at the beginning, we were talking about it, and you were talking about Kitty putting her away. I was like, oh, man, this thing really does kind of start off like a soap opera. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you were messing with my man, so I set you up to, to take the fall. You yeah. know, now you're a convict. and. Um, but yeah, it, it turns into uh, you know, like I said, uh, an, I don't want to say a fairly traditional story because you do have the elements that are that are different, um, you know, in, in that you have a, a ton of female protagonists and uh, also kind of I don't know, I mean, I don't think this is really spoiling anything, but you almost have you have two different groups of bad guys, and I don't know how often you come across that. It, it's a it's a favorite thing of mine, in specifically in TV shows and movies. Mm-hmm. Where there are two villains that are not, um, that are not working together. Yeah, it, it always brings out the 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 fun part. And instead of having just a straight black and white kind of uh, you know fight between good guy and bad guy, you got two different bad guys. That to me takes it to a whole nother level. It's a very Guy Ritchie thing. Like his movies, it's always a bunch of different interests that all collide at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that shit. That's good shit. 
or like that movie uh, Smoke and Aces. Remember that? Um, was that with like the nine different groups of assassins or whatever, all trying to or something like that? Yeah, like, there's a con- there's an open contract, and whoever mm-hmm. kills the person gets the money. That was a lot of fun, from what I remember. Really over the top, but a lot of fun. Yeah, good stuff. Not necessarily like this at all, but that's what it makes me think of. Um, you want to wrap it up? I don't have any quotes. I'm I'm, I'm terrible with quotes lately. You and that phone of yours. I think I have a couple of well, it was quotes. A paper book this time, but. I, I don't know. Like this book in particular, I feel like it wasn't in the wording. It was just in like the the solid storytelling. So I'm going to agree with you because I only have two, which is a little light for me, and that's not take away from the fact that this was a really enjoyable book. Um, all right, I'm going to do a little bit of setup here. So this is Ellie talking about her um, her parents. I had said that you know, her parents found religion and stuff. So this is kind of a conversation of the where it kind of goes bad for her parents. No, he must have been short on cash, too. They had to declare bankruptcy after a couple of years. In the truck side mirror, I watched a sleeping town recede into the darkness. In the end, there was nothing left of my mother's vision except a story she hated to tell. Yeah. I like that, because I think a lot of people, that's kind of how you end up, but I've never really heard it put quite that eloquently. It's good. Um, This other one is from from Kitty. (laughs) This is just a great scene where... It's the first time Kitty and um, and Ellie uh, talk after she gets out of prison, and uh, she says, um, "So Ellie is say is is telling her that Frank's not you know such a great guy basically," and and Kitty responds with, "Considering the only marriage you were ever in was mine, I'd just as soon not hear your marital advice." That was good. Yes, I like that whole scene with the two of them, um, kind of you know. Just having a conversation. It's not a cat fight. It's you know, it's just just good stuff. Good 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 content. I think because I'm not a woman, but good female conversation from a you know a guy. Does that make sense? Like yeah, I think he wrote their parts really well. But then again, I'm a guy, so what do I know? And then there was a pillow fight. Even though she was a prison guard, she'd seen enough that it turned into a pillow fight. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think this book is going to suffer from the lack of pillow fights. Actually, that's a good, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but there wasn't really much in the way of like sex, you know, except for the allusion to sex that already happened or like that's very brief. Like there was a couple of sex scenes, but it wasn't like, yes. you know, drawn out explanations of sex or like, you know, it was this was no triple X Seamus is what I'm trying to say. No, no, it wasn't. Yeah, there was. Yes, I believe that sex happened twice, but it was always like. And then they had sex. Right. You know, the next morning, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Or the sex yep. was good. I think actually following one of the sex scenes, it actually just said the sex was great. There you go. Sometimes that's all you have to say about it. I mean, that plane's a pretty... I mean, anyway. Yeah. You know what, you know what <laughs> happened. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Rob, give us a, a wrap-up. So, Jake Hinkson, in the past we had read Hell on Church Street, and we really enjoyed that, and heard his story, uh, Casual... Encounters, is that what it was called, right, I think, from uh, the recent Noir at the Bar in Chicago. So had a little bit of experience with him, really dug that first book we read by him. This is a, an entirely different flavor. Hell on Church Street was a little bit weirder, uh, stalkery, love triangle, weird, fucked up thing, but really, really good. This was more of a straight P.I. type of book. Um, unique approach in that it had... Um, all the really pivotal and interesting characters were female, not unique that like, Oh, you know, females can't be lead characters just in the fact that we typically don't read a lot of that. So, um, that was kind of cool. And it was just a really solid, I mean, texting with Livius about it. Uh, actually son of a bitch, Livius, I started the book super early. I was like, Hey, I'm a hundred pages into this book. And he's like, wow, you're, you know, taking, taking this on way earlier than usual. And I was like, oh, you know, I had some time, so I wanted to get this started. And he, the next day, texted me. He's like, I finished the book. And I was like, you son of a bitch. You can't <laughs> let me be, can't let me be ahead of you at all. But uh, um, it's a fast read and just a really solid, uh, you know, PI type story. The storytelling is great. The characters are good. Uh, the backstory really kind of tied you into the characters and, and made them more compelling. And um, it was just really solid top to bottom. I'm going to go. Four and a half stars. 
Glad Rob mentioned that because I think that's an important part of my wrap-up. I, um, I started it Sunday on my half-hour lunch at work, and then I picked it up Monday. Uh, Monday I work in the evening, so before work I picked it up, and um, I, I finished it, so literally in two sittings. So if that speaks anything for how um, readable this book is, you know, through, you know, just, just propulsion, I guess, self-propulsion to read through this <laughs> book. Um, there are books I absolutely love that I need to take a break from, you know, you know, not frequently, but you know, that I don't read in one or two sittings. So, um, yeah, everything Rob said, it was, uh, it was refreshing to see kind of a slightly different take on a PI novel in that, um, the, the protagonists were basically all female. One character we didn't mention that I really liked, um, Junius Kluge, and I'm not going to go into a, into a long thing. Junius, um, kind of reminded me of maybe somebody that, that grew up on church street and <laughs> comparing it to, to hell on church street. <laughs> he was the really dark, weird part that maybe um, came from that book. Um, but other than that, it was very different in flavor. I loved hell on church street because I love dark and weird. This was far less weird and, and less dark, I think too. Um, but still like a really solid, just crime book. Um, yes, I did read it quicker just to, to get, you know, get over on Rob, but uh, a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was just a seriously readable book. And, and it's something that I don't think, I, I think it has appeal, broad appeal for everybody. It reads fast. It's got an interesting story. Um, I think there's the potential there for a sequel and I wouldn't be surprised if this does well, if Mr. Hinkson puts out another, um, another Ellie book where she gets involved in another mystery. Um, but yeah, just just a lot of fun. I mean, just just a really solid crime book, and I, I think Rob's right on that. I think four and a half stars is is probably a good a good rating for this. Thanks again, Mister Hinkson, for the story. It was really good um, so far. Great impression of Hinkson and his work. There's other stuff that I have that I haven't read yet, like the Posthumous Man, and um, he's got a little um, single shot book from uh, uh, what's it called? Hang on. Crime Factory has a, a what they call a single shot called Saint Homicide. It's a it's a, about half the size of a normal trade paperback, and it's probably fifty pages. So I, would, I have a little bit to dig into that um, as well. I um I, I could have seen this darker. That's this what I really loved on Hell on Big Ugly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But I would definitely read. I would definitely read a sequel. Yeah. Oh, we should mention he actually his first short story collection is coming out through all due respect. Um, it may actually be out now. I believe. It was released the 10th, which is just the other day. Yep. So the deepening shade contains 15 stories, most of which were previously published in such journals as blah, blah, blah and blah, blah, blah. But um, you may have to pick that up and read it. I'm liking I'm liking the Singson guy. I'm liking what he's doing. It does include his story, Casual Encounters. Or encounter, whichever it is, uh, that he read at Noir at the Bar Chicago, and that was podcasted on booked, 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 booked. Getting all the good, getting all the good guys, getting the goods in 2015. Yep. <laughs> um, speaking of which, we had mentioned that by the time people were listening to the last episode, it was possible that the nominations for podcast of the year may be up now. Do you know where they actually were? They actually put up. Fuck yeah, they were. Were they? Were we nominated? Fuck yeah, we were. Of course we were. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Man. That's three years in a row we're nominated for the This Is Horror uh, Podcast of the Year award. Yes. So out of the thousands of podcasts out there, hundreds of thousands, Rob, tens of thousands. Um, I would say probably hundreds of thousands. Probably hundreds of thousands of podcasts. We were honored by you, the listeners, um, and being nominated for Podcast of the Year. So first thing we want to do is thank you, listeners, That's for right. making sure that I didn't kill myself because we weren't nominated for Podcast of the Year. Yeah. A dead Livius is a boring Livius. Can I tell you that I had so much nail polish sitting around waiting for the <laughs> nominations? You just, like, pass out from the smell of it? Pretty almost, almost, and and one book of matches. But they're those matches you can strike on anything. The really cool ones. Nice. You didn't. You didn't fucking. That's like one step below getting the little clicky uh, fireplace lighter thing or the you know like the long <laughs> stick kind of thing. Yeah. Dude, how not cool is that? Like matches you can strike on anything. Totally cool. Long like like barbecue lighter. Right. Right. That's, that's not cool at all. The barbecue lighter's lame. When I set shit on fire, it's I do it in the coolest way. Zippo. I throw the Zippo, you know, the slow motion Zippo throw. Nice. Yeah. You would. Yeah. You've been, you're a lifelong but, smoker. 
You know how I to actually, do that kind of stuff. You know what? I do know how to do that stuff. And actually, I have some pretty cool Zippos. I have some limited edition Marlboro Zippos. I have an Alice Cooper Zippo. Of course you do. Of course I do. Don't be silly. So you want to talk about what these awards are? Yeah. So um, do you want you mean like what the for people who don't know, this is horror.co.uk um, that specializes in all things horror. Um, are now for the third year doing um, uh, awards. So included in those awards are, I'm going to read through these pretty quickly, Novel of the Year, Film of the Year, TV Series of the Year, Short Story Collection of the Year, Anthology of the Year, Publisher of the Year, Magazine of the Year, UK Event of the Year, Book Cover of the Year, Podcast of the Year, and the one that still perplexes me, Tattoo Artist of the Year. (laughs) Horror tattoos, I'm assuming. Yes, people who specialize in horror tattoos. I think it bears taking a couple of minutes to just give some um, the booked ticket, you know, the booked recommendations for what you should vote for, or what we we find especially good that showed up in different uh, categories of non- nominees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can I take the first one because it's so goddamn easy? Yeah, go for it. Novel of the year. So I'm going to tell you what all the nominations are. Uh, we'll do this from five uh, from five up. So the Troop by Nick Cutter. I'm sure it's a great book. Don't know. The Girl with All the Gifts, M.R. Carey. Not really sure. Revival by Stephen King. Now, you'd think that might be that might be a contender, right? Stephen King. I mean, One would think. Know. Right, yeah. Then you've got Broken Monsters by former reviewee of the book podcast, Lauren Bukes. Um, we opted to not read that. Uh, so, I don't know. Maybe that was really good. But, holy shit, Bird Box by Josh Mallerman. I don't see how, how that can't win. No-brainer. Yeah, Josh Mallerman of New York City. Um, <laughs> We've been over this. Yes, and or and or Detroit, Michigan. Um, uh, novel of the year. So the the book ticket for novel of the year include, or, you know, definitely is is not includes, but is Josh Mallerman and Bird Box. And you can ask anybody who's read it; they'll tell you this is really solid stuff. Yeah, I, I also thought that said Mariah Carey, not Mr. Carey at first. <laughs> Dude, if Mariah Carey writes a horror novel, we're going to review it, and I'm going to vote for it Fuck to be yes. the horror book of the year. <laughs> the book called The Voice. All right, so film of the year. I will be honest; I didn't read. I mean, read, I actually haven't seen any of these, so Olivia should probably chime in. But here we go. Number, they're not in any specific order, but I'm going top to bottom. Oculus, which I just remember, there's a mirror involved. Snowpiercer. Um. Sexually abusing snow, I'm assuming. The Babadook, which I know Olivia's watched and enjoyed. The Raid Two, and Under the Skin. My my instinct is to criticize some of the nominations, but then I remember that we don't like do just horror, so it's like <laughs> I don't want to criticizing that nomination. Um, here's what I'll say: The Babadook was. Um, in my opinion, a wholly original movie, I, I believe is Australian. Yes. Um, great, great film. Um, I've seen half of the raid too, um, most because I fell asleep, um, which is, <laughs> which is a, um, uh, uh, oh, and you know, here we go. This is me just totally respecting other cultures. I think maybe it's an Indonesian movie or Taiwanese or something, but it's basically a cop fight movie. Like it's like, you know, one guy has to fight like 30 guys, like Bruce Lee style sort of. Right. So I'm not really seeing the horror in that. Snowpiercer was interesting, but I thought failed to deliver a little bit. But I don't believe that was really, in my opinion, horror. It was more like uh, post-apocalyptic sci-fi, uh, maybe. Okay. Dude, the premise of this movie, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's post-apocalypse. And the only people alive are on a train that runs perpetually. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of it takes place in this train. Of course, in the train, you have different classes. There's like the, the working class. There's like the kind of like slave class. And then, you know, up front are the rich people. And it's basically about a group of people trying to get from the back of the train to the front of the train. An interesting film. Um, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't really see it as horror. I, I'm going to pick, if anybody's seen these movies, I can't imagine that for horror, someone's not going to pick The Babadook. Yeah, it sounds like the ringing uh, from the, the, I saw the trailer for The Babadook and uh, um, the, we're listening to the This Is Horror podcast and stuff. Getting really, really good responses for that, so I'm guessing that's going to be the winner. TV series of the year. Here's one uh, I, I've actually seen all of these. Um, so American Horror Story Coven, Hannibal, season two specifically, um, The Strain, 
The Walking Dead Season 4, and True Detective. I have I know, seen I everything except for The Walking Dead. I've seen all the other ones. And, and I know where your vote's going, without a doubt. Without question. Yeah. And, and I'm going, having seen almost all of that, I mean, I'm, I, I never finished The Strain. I still have like four episodes to go. But I read the book, and the TV show was okay. But yeah, Hannibal is definitely um, the better of these. I didn't really care for Horror Story Coven, much like I don't really care for Freak Show. Seems a little watered down. Not as just straight up scary shit. It's more, mm-hmm. um, I want to say, kind of story like plot driven than it is just mm-hmm. like uh, for the for the terror of it. So yeah, that did suffer a little bit. Hannibal season two was just a fucking masterpiece. Mm-hmm. The Strain I thought was awful, and True Detective, while I enjoyed it, I didn't think it was like over the top good, and I don't really see the horror of it. Right, and that's what I was going to say, kind of like film of the year. Um, it, it, yeah. It's a little creepy in parts, and, and man, I like the story and the interaction between characters. I mean, you talk about um, great pairing of uh, Woody Harrelson and um, uh, the other guy. Um, <laughs> McConaughey. <laughs> McConaughey, yeah. I mean, great, great stuff there. I mean, you want to talk about like a kind of different twist on like the buddy cop you know, genre. I mean, that was, that was delivered really, sure. really well, but yeah, I'm, I'm failing to see the horror. The horror could be that, that one mistress from the beginning of the show wasn't naked in like every episode. Oh, because yeah, she had literally a perfect body. Yes. She was pretty hot. And yes, yeah. they should definitely bring her back for season two. You know, who's in season two. You ready for some horror? <laughs> oh, don't even say it. Cause my heart is so broken. I won't watch it. I will not watch it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Fucking Vince Vaughn is in it. Well, yeah, no, 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 but not that. Okay, so yeah, that sucks. But listen, listen, you ready? Rick Springfield. Oh no, seriously. Season two, True Detective. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a major part because it was he wasn't among the original announcements, but they did announce that he signed on to appear. Oh God, just use the stud book. <laughs> you want to give us the rundown on anthology of the year? Got a couple players in there. Short too. story collection, buddy. You skipped over. Oh, yeah, let's do short story collection. Sorry. Apparently, I'm totally not interested in the short story collection category. This is going to be actually pretty quick. Uh, Unseeming by Mike Allen. The End in All Beginnings by John F.D. Taff. Gifts for the One Who Comes After by Helen Marshall. Burnt Black Sons, A Collection of Weird Tales by Simon Stranzas. Mm-hmm. After the People Lights Have Gone Off by Stephen Graham Jones. And what I will say before we, we, before we point out the obvious... Um, if anybody knows the podcast is going to have a bias on this one, the end in all beginnings by John F D Taft is the one that, uh, Josh Mallerman was raving about when he was on the podcast. I thought that sounded familiar and I couldn't quite place it. Cause I was like, I don't think that was on a list of things we considered reviewing, but yeah, I, now that you say that, that is where I heard that title before. Which speaking of it, actually F John Taff, John F D Taft reached out to us and thanked us for having Mallerman on and said that he was available for an interview, so we might have to uh I might have to look into that. Might have to, but yeah, we're not reading any collections this year. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Just, we we did might have to that. read it off the show and refuse to review it, but still talk to the guy. That I I'm I'm okay with that. Okay. Um so the the ticket though, the book ticket goes it's going to be after the people lights have gone off by Simon Graham Jones. Figured. I kind of figured, and I'm sure we've read some of those. Although I've not read that particular collection, I can't imagine yeah. I haven't read some of those stories that are in there. Published by Dark House Press, run by mm-hmm. Richard Thomas. Yep. Not All right. Dark House Books, which is an entirely different press. Yeah, that's a little weird. Were you the one <laughs> telling me about that recently? Yes. Okay. Um, anthology of the year so we have the year's best weird fiction volume one edited by laird baron who we reviewed here um some time ago the spectral book of horror stories edited by mark morris the new black edited by richard thomas the cutting room dark reflections of the silver screen edited by ellen datlow who's who, pretty who we beat yes yes who we beat for anthology of the year last year that's right um, Burnt Tongues, an anthology of transgressive short stories. Is that actually the whole title of that? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Just looked up my, my bookshelf, and yes, it is. You'd think I'd have known that. Um, edited by Chuck Palahniuk, Richard Thomas, and Dennis Widmeyer. Can I tell you, I'm a, I'm a little surprised that Widmeyer's um, movie did not get nominated. Yeah, Starry of the Eyes. The sorry, Starry Eyes should be on the film of the year because I've heard great things about it. Um, I watched it. 
and I'm going to say that um, it definitely should have been in there ahead of some of the other things. I, I didn't, I didn't love it. I liked it, so I still would say the Babadook over over Starry Eyes, but um, definitely ahead of some of the other people that were nominated. Damn. So our endorsement here, uh, not nearly as clear, but we did read the two that I'm thinking that we may endorse. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can kind of choose between those, which kind of fits better. And I think it's probably in the new black. I think that the new black is probably a better fit in a horror anthology of the year. I'm going to agree with you on that. Yeah. But the voting does allow you to do a first choice and a second choice. So we're going to recommend new black is the first choice. Burnt tongues is the second choice. Yeah, I think that's fair. There we go. All right. Publisher of the year, Rob. Who's, who's our horse here? Our horse, uh, well, here's the options. Severed Press, Gray Matter Press, Eraserhead Press, Cheesine Pre- Publications, and Broken River Books. Now, I think pound for pound, as far as horror goes, Cheesine is going to be coming out in front because, you know, Broken River Books does a lot of crime and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Eraserhead is pretty solidly bizarro, so they'd probably be closer than Broken River. But Cheesine, I know, publishes straight-up horror. Yep. In other words, we don't have a horse. No horse, but... A I horse of a different color. Is that rose of a different... I don't know. Horse of a different... I don't know. Anyway. I'm the goddamn Wizard of Oz, man. Okay, but I'm... That's... All right. You've seen that movie, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. When I was a kid. <laughs> Damn it. Cheesing. But you, you, but you did pull out, like, Christian Slater and Cups earlier. Like, was able to tell us who was in it and the entire plot. <laughs> I go. I do. Uh, I do um, Christian Slater movie marathons where I just watch like pump up the volume and cuffs and fucking like gleaming the cube and all. Oh, of his, I, was like... gonna, I was gonna say. I hope gleaming the cube's on that list. That's a really <laughs> goddamn movie. <That's> a, <laughs> I mean, like think about that movie too because it's like in the eighties and he's like a skater and Tony Hawk is in there and it's all hardcore. But really, he's just this teenage kid who falls in love with like no, no. He had a brother who was like Asian. He was like an adopted brother or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was like fucking Christian Hanoi or some other skater. Yeah, and then, but the brother dies, and then there's all this like fucking weird kung fu shit that happens. I think, and he falls in love with like some girl, if I remember correctly. It's a great movie. <laughs> oh my god, I don't even know what to say about that because you knew way more about gleaming the cube <laughs> or remembered way more about gleaming the cube than I did. Fucking Tony Hawk's driving a Pizza Hut truck down a fucking road. It's amazing. Oh Tony Hawk! All right magazine of the year probably not yeah i've got nothing here just vote for fucking fangoria just Let's do move it on. <laughs> uk event of the year nothing going on here i've got listen i i do uk event of the year <laughs> the the doctor who christmas special that should be a write-in vote for everybody there you go it's it's doctor who working with santa claus it's fucking brilliant so all right book cover of the year the cormorant by chuck wendig um awesome cover the last projector by david james keaton Spectral Book of Horror Stories, Wakening the Crow by Stephen Gregory, Where You Live by Gary McMahon. Okay, so if you couldn't tell by my level of excitement dropping off. Um, <laughs> uh, the the pony that uh, Booked is putting its money on. Are, are, we in, are we in agreement on this one? There's really no way we can't be in agreement on this. Yeah, I, I have a poster of it up on my goddamn wall. The Last Projector, quite possibly the most intricate book poster I've ever seen or book cover I've ever seen. There's a lot going on. And Joey Hi-Fi doing the Cormorant one by Chuck Wendig, that's, he does great work. And I love the, the oh, Miriam Black covers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm really impressed by the uh, last projector cover. I mean, the detail, it's themed. I think that's what does it is it's thematic because, like, it, the, the spine of the book is designed to look like the, a typical VHS movie because, you know, it has a lot of movie references. It's kind of a theme in the book. So, kind overall. theme in the book, he says. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I know. Kind it's a of. kind of a theme in the book, yeah. <laughs> um, so the overall amount of effort that went into it seems like it was a little higher than Joey Hi-Fi. I mean, he did a great job making really, really brilliant um, art for the cover, but this was this seems like it's more of a, an overall thing, though I would kind of put the Cormorant a little bit farther in the horror category than Last Projector. Can I also say that I'm pretty sure that Joey Hi-Fi is not his real name? Probably not. Probably not. So. Joseph Hi-Fi, you thinking? <laughs> yeah, yes, I definitely. <laughs> Joseph, not Joey. Um, 
Tattoo Artist of the Year. I, got, I mean, we got nothing here. Um, Ali hmm. Kai, Max Pinewski, Emily Asylum, Alexis Kovacs, and Alexander the Meat Bovard. All right. Books Horse is a guy whose name is The Meat. I mean, we're going to go with if <laughs> I you're was really excited about Emily Asylum until you said The Meat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know Emily Asylum is a good name, too. Um, also, I feel that some of these names might not be real names. Yeah. So. But um, podcast of the year. Um, oh, look! There's only one one nomination. Is, yeah. Um, podcast. Books, you don't even podcast. have to write in a second one. Yeah. I mean, you know, as far as we're concerned, other podcasts don't if, really exist. If in theory you did notice on the website that there were other podcasts named in that category, none of them have the word podcast after it. So obviously they're not podcasts. <laughs> yeah, they they won't even own up to being podcasts. They're, yeah, they're Beware they're ashamed. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> loud and proud. Um, I will say that Rob did a little bit of research, and it does appear that we're the only one that's book exclusive. Yeah, so. and we kick uh, it with the horror pretty big, big, pretty big. So, if you're not interested in voting in the other categories, it is totally okay to just vote for podcasts of the year and send that in. You're not required to vote on every category. Um, so, shoot them an email and uh, let them know who your favorite podcast is. Yep. If you're looking for a very convenient link, I'll make sure that there's one up on the Booked Podcast website that you can just click on and get right over to there. I'll also be posting that on Facebook pretty regularly from um, the Facebook page, the Booked Podcast listening group, and probably personal stuff as well. I will be asking you to borrow your cell phone for a minute or two if I see you in person. That's right. And he's going to take a picture of his junk, so just be careful. Yes, I'm going to take a picture of my junk, and that's what <laughs> I'm going to send in as my vote from the address. <laughs> Michael's going to be like, ah, oh, this is goddamn another picture of Olivia's junk. <laughs> another vote for booked. Another vote for booked. So. Uh, please don't send pictures of your junk yeah. to this oh, 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 hold on a second, because that's what I was just going to say. Because if we don't win, I'm going to ask all the listeners to email <laughs> pictures of their junk to this is horror. <laughs> so. There we go. Not that it's their fault if we don't win. But, you know, I've got to take it out on somebody. That's so, right. And we're going to take it out on our friends, uh, our friends at this is horror. Good luck to all of our fellow nominees who are not in the podcast category. We love yes. you, and we're pulling for you. That is correct. Um, speaking of podcasts, I do not have confirmation on this, but I do believe that very shortly you will be able to hear your favorite podcast um, as guests on another podcast. Book, Spear, and Bullshit. We uh, recently sat down and were interviewed and brought the probably we brought the intelligence level up a little bit from their typical fare brought their energy level plummeting down yeah we did our thing where we slowed everything down to a crawl and answered in really monotone voices but um interestingly enough we talked a lot about podcasting which you know comes up here and we go oh, you know what's cool about podcasting but um Frank and Jeff um, really kind of drove home that they wanted to talk about podcasting. So we talked about kind of the process and, and how we do things and how we got together and, you know, and what maybe the future holds for books. So it, it was really cool. It was uh, it was very interesting to spend a lot of time not talking about, um, I don't know to say it's not the stuff we do, but like how we do it. Yeah. So a lot of times we talk about like, hey, what's good in books? What's good? You know, and this time we got to talk about the the, the craft of podcasting. Yeah, it was refreshing. And um, that's something that we're probably going to really talk about very much ever. So if you want to hear our take on how it works and how we do it and why we do what we do, probably check out Book Spear and Bullshit, if not now, soon. Soon, that dreaded word. You know, we're going to start hearing that, like, when I start blowing up Michael every day from This Is Horror. Like, hey, 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 when are you going to announce this? And he's going to be like, soon, soon, yeah. soon. And soon. it's going to be delayed because he's, like, in Korea or something right now. Yeah, he's in Japan? Yeah. It's, okay, yeah, Japan. That it's, makes it's more sense in Korea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah somewhere. <laughs> hey, I got a country right. Can you believe that shit? Good job, sir. He's in New uh, York right now. <laughs> yeah, he's, well, he's originally from New York. <laughs> yeah, it's all by the accent. No, he's from New Amsterdam because that's what they named it when. Anyway, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, is a New York oh, wait, joke. wait, wait, wait. What do we have here? Uh, never, never mind. I thought this might be a message from. What is, oh. okay, this so is this what is, happens this... when Olivia sends a message to someone. He expects them to answer within 45 seconds. And if it doesn't, he's like that, like. <laughs> 
He's like the dog that keeps running in the window because he thinks the owner is just getting home. Yeah. No, no, no. I messaged him an hour ago, but I thought I just saw my, my phone blinking and I thought, oh, okay, maybe he got back so we can get people. But it's really something I can't even talk about on the podcast. All right. Enough about books, beer, and bullshit because that's not our podcast. But one of our podcasts is Crime Wave. Uh, we mentioned before that there's going to be a new episode coming up soon. It's going to be Nick Mamatis. Yep. And um, that is about to be recorded very, very soon. So in the next week or so, you should have a, a nice, freshly minted episode of Crime Wave. Good story, too. I, I like the story. Yeah. He's a good I guy. Like- Met him in Seattle. Did I mention that? I'm name dropping. You- you did. You did mention that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. And then I forgot again until you said it. So I was, <laughs> telling me. I was like talking to him on. instead of meeting Chuck Polinick. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, come on. Polinick. Yeah, nah, whatever. Been there. All right. Um, this next segment is going to take um, a little bit. So we talked about um, a few weeks ago doing something that we, we named the Wheel of Meat. <laughs> Um, which I should probably totally make sense. Just a quick moment to explain. Well, it's kind of like we're just there's a bunch of meat. And we're going to select a cut, but um, the name came from um, Jonathan Brandmeier, who used to be a disc jockey in Chicago when I was a teenager and in my early twenties. He actually had a wheel of meat, which was a kind of wheel of fortune style wheel, where he had like I don't know if it was different companies or whatever, but they provided cuts of meat, and like you would just call in and they'd spin the wheel and they'd be like, "Rob, you just won twelve pounds of sausage." I'd so really like twelve pounds of sausage. Yeah, so it's called the Wheel of Meat. Um, we are going to affectionately borrow that name for the way we're going to occasionally pick a book. So we pick books basically on like, hey, we've read some stuff by this guy. We should read it. Or, hey, this came highly recommended from this particular friend of the podcast. We should read it. And we don't really do a lot of big mainstream books. So in order to bring you a little bit more of that, we have uh, devised a system, an elaborate system by which we will pick a New York Times best-selling book to review. So um, this is going to be the first run at doing the Wheel of Meat. So here's how it's going to work. I have listed out in uh, this website. is called randomresult.com. I have picked the top 20 books. Um, originally, I was going to call through there and be like, well, if they're sequels, we'll take them up. But you know what? Fuck them. Because here's how people read books. Or a lot of people read books. They're in the airport and they go to the airport bookstore and they pick up a book. And sometimes they don't know if it's a sequel or not. So if we're picking yeah. up something that um, may have required us to read something previously, oh, well, we're going to read it like we, you know, like we just randomly picked it. So um, I'm going to do a quick rundown of the bestsellers in the New York Times and then live here on the show we are going to hit the select button and hopefully this will all go off without a without a we'll see <laughs> all right <laughs> from number uh let's go backwards from number 20 to number one i'd also like to say that you know a web page doesn't take up space right it's not like you know the the, the new york times.com bestsellers fiction section has numbers one through 16 printed really big with um like just a one sentence description mm-hmm and then there's a little box that says also selling, and they do 17 through 20. Like it was going to take up way too much space to give those, <laughs> to get those books the four. same amount of space. <laughs> so um, because of that, I am going to make sure that I am going to read them from, from backwards. So top billing is going to go to number 20, which is Edge of Eternity by Ken Follett. Number 19, Redeployment by Phil Clay. Uh, I'm going to stop doing the numbers. Prince Lestat by Anne Rice. Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty. Uh, no relation. Uh, 16, The Rosie Effect by Graeme Simpson. <laughs> the the Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. The Boston Girl by Anita Diamant. Diamant? These are all fake names. <laughs> um, the Burning Room by Michael Conley. Station Eleven by Emily St. John. No Fortunate Son by Brad Taylor. Leaving Time by Jody Picoult. Rain on the Dead by Jack Higgins. Tom, uh, this one's interesting, and i got to mention this. The book is called Tom Clancy, Full Force and Effect by Mark Grenny. Greeny, <laughs> um, because Tom Clancy now has a book mill, because this guy is writing a Jack Ryan book. So. Book mill. Uh, my, my personal, I'm drawn to that because that should be a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, the Assassination Option by W.E.B. Griffin and William E. Butterworth IV. Guessing that's a four. The fourth. Yeah. Revival by Stephen King. Die Again by Tess Gerritsen. 
The Escape by David Baldacci, Hope to Die by James Patterson, Grey Mountain by John Grisham, and number one on the bestsellers list as of last uh, week, um, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Dewar. Dewar? 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 Uh, he's got too many R's in his name. <laughs> Rob, are you ready? Is there? Uh, here's what I was thinking when I was copying and pasting these in here: is how there's no way Rob can be happy with anything that's <laughs> selected off this list. Oh, so. this is going to be a goddamn nightmare. Right, I'm praying right now, it's James Patterson because I know I'll read it in like 45 minutes, and I'll probably do another one of those chapter breakdowns. It's an Alex Cross book though this time, so I think this might be actually written by him. Hope to die. There may or may not be drum rolling sounds in the background right now as I'm doing this. But here we go. I'm hitting the draw now button. And uh, number, okay. God damn it. Rob's not going to believe. Prince Lestat by Anne Rice. Get the fuck. Are you serious? I'm sending you a picture. God damn it. God damn it. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure it's like 500 pages. Ah, fuck. Next time I have to do live video, because if it's anything I might want to read, Rob's going to be like, the fucking fix is in, man. The fix is in. I just see the list, and it's Prince Lestat 20 times. Oh, hold on. Do some resize picture? God damn it. Fuck. Well, listen, I was reading this. I was like, fucking Ken Follett. Like, these are names of guys I was reading (laughs) when I was like 16. Okay, I'm like, oh, Tom Clancy. (laughs) Like... <clears throat> I well, just sent a picture. Oh, it says need a proof, take a ticket. I don't even know what this means. Can I just like click this and it shows proof that I did a create your ticket, enter items. Just, I don't know what this is. Any rate, this is the website we'll probably be <laughs> using going forward for this. So Livius, you said Livius has said he sent me a photo. So I went to Facebook Messenger because I figured that's where he sent it, and I saw the photo he sent before that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I can't talk about, but it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> Pick items. God. God fuck. Damn it. God fuck. Yep. I actually think that, you know, I like this because I think that little thing, sequence one, reset, draw date, like it tells you like that it's only been done once. I kind of like this. I always wondered because, you know, you see these things in, in groups on well, some of the groups I've launched on Facebook where they do raffles. Yeah. And sometimes I swear to God, like the people's proof of doing a raffle is like, all right, I got all these little pieces of paper here and put them all in a hat and I'm drawing one out. Like yep. you couldn't recreate that a hundred times till like you picked your buddy to win the raffle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and they're like, oh, I'm using a website. And I'm like, oh yeah, this isn't legit either. But you know, this seems to be pretty legit. It actually gives you like the number, how many times you do it. Like if I do draw again, I'm just curious. You can cut this out. Because you, you couldn't open up another fucking page and create a new list. Dude, fucking seriously, it took me like 15 minutes to copy and paste <laughs> these goddamn things in there. Because you have to do them one line at a time. Oh, it's no, that's way. awful. If you look at the t- I don't know if, it used, if I shot you the whole screen, but it says enter items, one per line. Oh, yeah. So you had, I had to like copy the title, like put it in, hit enter, copy the title, put it in, hit enter. That sucks. Yep. And I do see different titles, so he didn't, he didn't cheat on that, damn it. Yep. There we go, Prince Lestat. Prince Thanks, Lestat. Wheel of Meat. It's, yes, the first Wheel of Meat has been a rousing success. Be Rob bitching about an Anne Rice book for fucking a two-hour episode. Uh, we sure. should get Ferguson back for this. Oh, hey, listen, you know, anybody you want, Nikki Gerling, it's a big Lestat fan. She might, Amanda Gowan, there might be some people that we could reach out to for uh, for a co-host. Let's post it up on Facebook, and if anybody pre- uh, uh, shows interest, we can... Loop, loop them into it. All right. Just they got to know they've got seven days, seven days to read a book. All right. What else we got? Oh, speaking of New York Times bestsellers, uh, we have a new book to news. Skip Papersley back on the payroll. The payroll being he uh, answers my text messages and does what I tell him to. <laughs> this is book news. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Peter Marcus has finally done it. The 48-year-old author, in his sixth book, The Fish and the Not Fish, penned an entire anthology of stories that are comprised of only one syllable word. This is exciting news for the world of books as well as American educators. A recent study in the Journal of American Education showed that 68% of children are not able to read larger than single-syllable words by the sixth grade. The study indicated that this also included their names, Hayden, Caden, T. 
Talon, as well as many other names featuring the letter Y. School districts have put in advanced orders for as many of these as they can get, so congratulations to Peter Marcus. We here at Book News are proud of you and hope that your name is not featured on the book, as it has too many syllables. In other news, inspired by Peter Marcus's work, we here at Book News decided we should try our hand at writing a one-syllable word story. In this case, we've decided to write a piece of X-Files fan fiction in which Mulder and Scully finally give in to the deep sexual tension between their characters. We think it's a nuanced take, and it's called I Want To... Here it goes. Thank you. And now for the New York Times bestsellers in fiction countdown. Still alive at number five is Tess Gerritsen's Die Again. Trying to leap off the chart is The Escape by David Baldacci at number four. I can only think of mean puns for number three, James Patterson's Hope to Die. John Get Sexy Kids Grisham is number two with Grey Mountain. And in the blinding number one spot is All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Habersley, signing off. That was a fun bit. I love that guy. He's the best part of this show. I see what you're doing there. You're doing yeah, the Yeah, like oh. I couldn't even do a conversational style. <laughs> like, you said it like you were reading it off of like a teleprompter. <laughs> trying to remember because while we were listening to it, I was like, I have to, I have to do this. I have to come up with all one-syllable words. Yeah, interesting stuff there. It's funny that syllable isn't one syllable. Yeah, it does seem kind of like one of those things, right? Yeah. So, um, thanks to Skip Papersley. Note also that we did not we did not select the Wheel of Meat. Did not select something from the top five. It selected like number nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, when I did hit it the second time, though, just to see if it said that you know you hit the button again as kind of proof or whatever, um, it went to Ken Follett, who I actually think you would like less than Anne Rice. No, good. Well, yeah. I guess there's. Uh, <laughs> are you saying that I'm suffering less than I could be? Yes. All right. I'll take that. That's fine. Here's the thing. I also thought about one of our resolutions, which was that we would interview a top 20 um, New York Times bestseller. Mm -hmm. So here's my plea to writers that listen to the show. Can one of you guys just get on the top 20 bestseller list so that it's easier for us to do this? (laughs) Yeah, that's what resolutions are about is finding ways out of. If you guys could work being a New York Times bestseller, I know I'm asking a lot, but if you do it as a favor to me personally, I'd appreciate it. I'm sure we're just going to end up talking to Christopher Moore. I figured that was going to be your your avenue. That was pretty much what I was thinking. Right, right, right after I said, I was like, "Who, who, who?" And I was like, "Oh, Christopher Moore. He can get in the top 20. Is how is how about S.G. Brown? He's got to be up there. Um, I don't know right offhand, but I'm 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 fully certain that S.G. Brown will be joining us this year, and I'm very much looking forward to that. That's right, less than hero. If uh, Livius can manage to not lose a book. We have a book that we're going to be reviewing when it comes out. Well, the funny part is, 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 and I don't know if I talked about this on the show, the, the person from the publisher emailed us. And they were like, well, you have the option of getting one book in March, I think, the final like copy, or an arc now and a final copy. And, of course, like who says I'll just take one book, right? But yeah. I thought like if we get that one, I could still lose one and we would still have a <laughs> copy. So, so I was like, I'll hmm. take both, please. Thank you very much. So yeah, and here we are. Here we are. So, Rob, you got anything else? I feel like we went a little long. Did we go a little long? Um, I mean, we're just over an hour, so that's pretty average. But um, I do want to mention that uh, we talked a lot about Patreon uh, the last episode, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But it's amazing that no one expressed interest in the option of booked paying for them to get a hand job. Zero. We had zero I people reach out to us. I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. More than is normal. I don't think people took us seriously. <laughs> you don't think that? I mean, if it came down to it, and I threatened to buy a hand job for someone, and someone called me out on it, I would pay someone to give someone a hand job. It's just like principles that I have. I um, yes, <laughs> I, I I believe you. Um, it'll make for great podcasting. It will. Uh, but yeah, so definitely we're taking applications. Um, please indicate if you're messaging us and interested if we're able to read your application <laughs> online or like on, on the episode or not. <laughs> we have or a if we have to keep it to ourselves. So um, either way is fine. Um, you can call the booked phone number 
Rob, what's that phone number? 773-599-1057. Yep, you can call and leave a voicemail. Because um, if if nobody does, we're going to give it to that automated voice from Walgreens that keeps calling us and telling us our prescriptions, right? <laughs> we're just going to send somebody over to that Walgreens and to, <laughs> just to, whoever first asks or first accepts a hand job, that's that's how it's going to go. I need to see the pharmacist right now. <laughs> but um, first, I'm going. What's your lotion aisle? Yeah. Oh God. But yeah, there's that, and and I think. And I'm actually kind of I'm a little um, nervous about this and kind of a little excited at the same time. I do believe that within the coming week to ten days, Patreon um, subscribers might get their first piece of exclusive content. And I, I don't want to should we should we tease it? Should we spoil it? What should we do here? Well, um, I think if they find out if people find out what it is, they might be more likely to start contributing. This is um, this is potentially true. So. I had the reverse six, effect. <laughs> six years ago, right? Isn't that what we decided on six years ago? Uh, no, was it that long ago? I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we um, kind of decided. I don't know. This is this is before we realized that. Um, you know, uh, what what all that? I don't even know. I say this. We were really bored, and uh, mm. Rob had an idea to put together some chat books, and they were going to consist of short stories by Rob, myself, and, and a few other um, friends. Um, yeah. One of them. One of them, Josh Deach, who has appeared on this podcast. That's right. Um, and today I was thinking about it and I was like, man, we need something for the bonus content. We keep talking about we're having trouble um, putting together a full episode or something. Like We didn't want to be like, oh, we're going to interview this author and only Patreon listeners can listen. Or we're going to review this book because it's not fair to the content creator of the book to have you know more limited exposure. So when we ask somebody for a book to, to review or... Um, an author to be on the show we want to get out to as many people as possible not just the people who subscribe so it, it, it's tough coming up with additional content but rob and i had talked a little bit about um the 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 chat books that he published um and i thought rob and i both have really short stories in there it wouldn't take much to throw them together in audio recording and just put them out for patreon listeners so um, I, this week, will have read one short story, and they're very, very short, so don't get really excited. This isn't going to be like a, you know, oh, I've got a two-hour drive. I can listen to the story unless you want to listen to it like 400 times. But I'm going to record a short story, and I believe Rob will be doing the same in the coming weeks. So um, what my hope is is that in the next few weeks, Patreon subscribers will hear little mini audiobooks by me and Rob. That's right. I actually had a great idea. Um uh, that I just had now looking at these little chat books and um, in that we could probably convince maybe one or two other people to do it too. Like um, the, the voice of Skip Papersley, Brayden Cameron has some stuff in there. That's we could right. probably convince him to, to read and put up as well. So that will be for all levels of contribution. So if you're already a contributor, no worries. You'll be hearing this um, shortly. Uh, if you're not a contributor, as little as $1 per month will get you this bonus content, as well as a potential other bonus content. Now, going to be fair, we might be doing some bigger things where we'll actually have to draw the line at a subscription level. So it might not always be stuff for the dollar level. Um, all contributors get early access to booked episodes. All contributors will get access to hearing these short stories. Uh, the hand jobs, those are definitely going to be at a different level. <laughs> and probably a pretty other high level. Stuff, yeah, other future stuff will probably be at a higher level too. But for right now, Buck still gets you everything we've got going on Patreon. So, patreon.com slash booked. Um, and, and, and here's some. Oh, God, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be here, so embarrassing and awful. <laughs> yep. Hear us read stories that we wrote many years ago. Discover why we read. Not and not write. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Until then. Um, Thanks for thanks for listening. We're gonna next up, Anne Rice and Prince Lestat. Oh uh, fuck the wheel of meat. <laughs> I'm Olivia Stud. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.